We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody, welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Theus, at Nick Theus 10 is you can find me. VeteransMinimum.com is you can find everything VM for the show. You'll find the links to Spotify, Apple, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, the whole nine. You want to find something Veterans Minimum? Go check out VeteransMinimum.com. Check out the YouTube channel. Videos are pumping out content. And my guy on the other end little bittersweet for him to join the show this week because of some news we'll get to in a little bit. A-double. Alan, what's good, bro? Oh, oh, oh man. Very, lots of activity right now. Just hour after a big trade. Howie Roseman, hard at work as usual every year, making things happen. But, yes, uh, pretty ugly weekend of football. Some very, very sad news in Indianapolis. And, oh, man, it's been hard to digest. Dude, let's open up with that, man. We didn't expect to talk about this, obviously, because it wasn't news at the time when we put this show together. But, what, an hour or so ago, at the time that we're recording, the Eagles, like you said, Roseman just continues, dude. Where does he find all the cap space? Where does he find all these draft picks? He lands Robert Quinn coming over. And, Alan, before we really dive into the nitty-gritty of that trade and what you think about it, Man, Philly Philly is in such a spot, dude, where they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And the biggest question mark concerning them has been answered this year with Jalen Hurts because everyone wanted to see what was going to happen with Jalen Hurts. But even after trading for Robert Quinn today, they get Gardner Johnson in the summer. They get A.J. Brown. They get Jordan Davis in the draft. The Eagles still are scheduled to have six picks in the 2023 draft, including two twos and two first rounds, theirs and the Saints. So, Alan, how do you feel about what Philly's doing, whether it's this year and then moving forward? Tell me about that first. 
I mean, it's, it's like kind of like the blueprint right now that organizations have to be looking at because they're just they're very savvy in how they're operating. Like that's, I love everything about the AJ Brown move because to me, Philly's never been an organization that's been complacent. They're very proactive, even though they took a first round pick on Devontae Smith. They realized this offense desperately needs a jolt. Like he just things were lacking last year. Right, we can't be so run dependent. Even though we have like a, an elite offensive line and. You know, our offensive master, my Nick Sirianni, could dial things up. Like we got to bolster passing. It's like they need help in the secondary. They add Gardner Johnson. They get James Bradbury. Like it's just these savvy moves they make year in and year out. Now there's times where it's kind of blew up in their face, but now it's just you gotta love what they're doing, and it's scary. Like they go four deep on the edge now because Brandon Graham's been a stalwart for years. Hassan Reddick's been a very good signing. Josh Sweat has been one of those like key rotational pieces that always seems to cause havoc. And now you're adding Robert Quinn, who, okay, he's a little bit aging, but now you're getting him in to be essentially like a situational edge rusher. It's it's nasty. Like, they're going to cause so much damage. And, you know, cool them. They're seeing the window right now. Like, this is the time, for, if you're in the NFC, to just make a move because it's so dysfunctional in the NFC. There's so many teams falling off. And it's just like, now Philly knows, like, there's no reason for them not to be in the Super Bowl. Now it's just a matter of, you know, handle your business. You're probably gonna have home field, and just now it's like, can you take down one of the juggernauts in the AFC? I mean, dude, he's coming off 18 and a half sacks last year. He's 32 years old, and I think for me, Allen, it's it's kind of feels feels like when the Rams got Von Miller, where Von Miller was on a team in Denver, where yeah, he's had success and he won a Super Bowl, but the team just wasn't that good. And now you go from Chicago, who, all right, look, they're coming off a win on Monday Night Football. We're not exactly screaming playoffs for them. Now you leave that and you go to Philly, who's, in my opinion, like it's them and Buffalo, and then it's a tier of everybody else. I was talking about that with Joe Fan on the Monday episode. If you guys haven't checked that out, please go and check that out. But, Alan, you're right, man. NFC is so wacky. And now you have him joining this team that's already loaded, that's already playing well. They're the only undefeated team in the league. And I think it's just going to be that thing that we've seen time and time again. These older players who are playing on shitty teams, shitty situations, and now they're going to a contender, that's only going to fire them up, dude. That's why I think this is going to be this year's Von Miller. Yeah. Uh, It's definitely a great comparison. It just... I think Philly would have been like I think they're already the class of the MC. Like to me, I think getting Robert Quinn just more of like, oh, we're just bolstering up. We're just we're getting ready for that real Super Bowl push just to just give teams a fit because like they're really deep on defense. I don't know if they're top five sacks wise, but they generate a ton of pressure. So they Quinn just like that. It's just that type of play does where it's just like we're gonna consistently look to dice things up. We're gonna see you know what deals can be made, and you know the Bears have been. For most of the year, I know they're calling off a huge win that I think was big for their organization. You know, it's a, it's a two-year, three-year process for them. So, you know, kudos the Eagles for pouncing on it. They, it's, it's the type of move you have to make as a tenor. You have to capitalize, sell, and they managed to do that. Yeah. Von Miller was definitely a addition that they needed. They needed to generate some pass rushes. This is just like, this is you adding another piece to already something that's a strength. Like, they're already getting mm-hmm. pressure. So now it's just adding another tool to the toolbox. 
that's going to be a problem. And again, man, I think it's a real thing. When you're someone that goes from a shitty situation to a good one, it's going to rejuvenate your career. You're going to feel more inspired. You're going to feel as if you're not wasting your talents in that old situation you were in. So to me, mm -hmm. I think Philly just, again, man, and of course, the one year Allen that the, that the Giants are winning, they're six and one. You have probably the, the two best teams in the NFC or in the NFC East with the Cowboys and the Eagles. Same. That's how it all aligns. Cause I don't think there was much uh, anticipation for the NFC East this year. Like obviously there were two, there was one intriguing team and one fading team and two teams that were clearly in rebuild mode, but look at them now three teams that are, Looking established to be in the playoffs, and I think too, you definitely have to take seriously as Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, coming into the year, everyone thought that Dallas was going to be fading, and then that Philly could, could if Jalen Hurts does well, if AJ Brown messes well with the team, and some of the additions that they made on defense. If big if with Philly, now it turns out to be that. Philly answered all those questions. They just got to stay healthy now and continue doing what they're doing. And then with Dallas is, nah, man, we're still going to be a problem because our defense is legit. And that was the big thing coming yeah. into the year, bro, where I felt as if, if their defense was going to be a defense that we would consider to be a really good one, like those iconic names that you have, like Legion of Boom and, yeah, like the 2000 Ravens. And I know I'm, I'm those teams won Super Bowls. I'm not saying all that, mm -hmm. but they have talent on that defense. It's just hard for you to replicate that year in, year out with your defense. So it's frustrating, man. It's a Giants, man. Like, look, I'm decked out in blue, bro. I mean, they're, I got blue they're, pants they're, on too, Allen. I mean, they're in good position, though. Like, it, they're still good. It'd be fine. It's just, just tough division. But I feel like with things so opened up, like maybe if uh, if it was six, six playoff teams and seven, I could see being frustrated. But now the playoff teams, it's like, I don't know. They're... They're in great shape. Well, you know what's going to happen as we sort of segue this conversation into just the NFC being so shitty. You know what's going to happen, right? If things continue to play out the way they are, <clears throat> you're going to have two wildcard teams from the NFC East with potentially, dude, 12 or 13 wins going on the road wildcard weekend to play a team with how many wins does the, the NFC South have this year? Nine? Maybe eight. <laughs> so, yo, you, no, I, think, I, I think Tampa will win nine. Uh, I'll say Tampa wins. But, dude, you're going to have a situation where you're going to have a 12-win team going into a playoff game against a team with nine wins, and they're going to have home field. And you know you're going to see those conversations come up again. Like, what do you do? But these are yeah. also anomalies, too. Yeah. I, I still think the NFC West is... Very respectable and competitive. I know right now it's looking a little weird with the Seahawks in first place, but like whoever has to go, whether it's Seattle, San Fran, I'll still throw the Rams in, I guess, even though I'm really down the Rams. Like you, having to travel there, which the Giants would have to do in the position they're in, you know, they're, they're going to be in for a battle. I think it's the playing that the Dallas playing Tampa, most likely, that's where you're just like, oh man, this is, this is really funky. Dude, I'm looking at the conference right now, right? First of all, what happened to the NFC? We had some questions coming into the year, but we didn't expect it like this, bro. No, 
no, no, no, no. Like literally the four teams that we thought were like the real contenders along with Philly have just, it's hard to take them seriously at this point. I think there's only really one of them I'm still putting up there at a top tier just because of the McCaffrey move, I believe in their coaching staff. But the other three teams, oh man, like how can you just have any faith in them? Well, I think I agree with you. I think the only team of NFC past contenders that now are in shambles, and let's just preface and explain what teams we're talking about. You got the Packers, the Bucks, the 49ers, and the LA Rams. Of those four teams, I think I'm definitely trusting San Francisco because I think the team collectively is the best of the bunch. Yeah, they might have the weakest quarterback of the bunch, but offensive line, wide receiver, running back now with McCaffrey, and you're going to get Elijah Mitchell back too. The dude wasn't out for the year. He just got banged up. You have the solid defense that you've been raving about since, what, week two, I think it's been, that you've been high on singing their praises? I, I know they got lit up, but they're not solid. They're top three defense, and they're getting healthy. So, no, they're, they're here to stay. And, dude, you got lit up by Mahomes, right? Mahomes lights everybody up. So, it's yeah. you, didn't get, you didn't get lit up by Daniel Jones for as much as my guy got us at six wins right now. It's still mm-hmm. limited, right? So, I think of these four teams, the one that I would trust the most is San Francisco. All the other Absolutely. ones are super flawed. And I think even the flaws that San Francisco has – Time and time and time again, they've proven that even if we're limited at quarterback, even if he's going to be a liability to us, we can get to where we want to get to, which is an NFC title game, which is a Super Bowl. It's like, dude, getting to the NFC title game, he gives you a chance to win. And I remember talking Mm -hmm. with Will Blackman on the show after week one where I'd come out and I said by October, Jimmy G would be the starting quarterback for San Francisco. Obviously, things turned out because Trey Lance got hurt, but it was... A lot of players, they like Jimmy G because he gets the job done, dude. He puts you in a position to win games. Can he go out there and win you a game where, you know, you're down 10? Probably not, but not many quarterbacks can. I know I kind of went on the rant there, Alan, but which, which team are you the most concerned about if you're looking at these four traditional powerhouse teams in the NFC that are now kind of in shambles? Packers by far. Packers can't do anything right right now because at least with the Bucks, they're a little banged up, but you still look at their roster and of course the division mm. is just like they'll probably put it together and just you know manage their way through. Uh, the Rams, as flawed as they are, they still have the star power. They still have a great coaching staff. The Packers, I don't know what you get excited about the Packers at this point. Like this defense that we really, I think everyone was raving about. They look so good on paper. They, I, I, I think this was Ollie Conley who. who Point this out. They said when you watch the film, there's no defense that likes pointing fingers at each other than the Packers. Like they're doing more pointing fingers than actually covering people. Like the last three games between the Giants, the Jets, Commanders, just been abysmal. Like Jair Alexander, what's happening? Devontae Campbell can't make tackles. This besides Rashawn Gary, no one's daring pass rush. And I'm not even talking about the biggest problem yet, which is the offense. And this is just the defense. So to me, I don't know what you hang your hat on with the Packers at this point. Because it's definitely not Rodgers. It's definitely not the offensive line. And it's not the defense. Like, And they're not utilizing the running game as it should be. So I'm, I'm pretty much at a loss for words with the Packers. I don't know how you could be optimistic about them. Yeah, and the biggest issue is that the strength of their team was supposed to be the defense. And like you said, they're pointing. And, dude, 
you lost three straight games to teams that it's the Jets, Giants, and the Commanders. Yeah. Look, I know the Jets are five and two. I know the Giants are six and one. But you gotta beat those teams, bro. And then lose and they it lost to the decisively the Jets. Yeah, they got they got throttled yeah. by the Jets. Like it, they, it's it's not like the Giants came back on them. The mm -hmm. Jets actually, we even talked about this. The Jets win was way more impressive than the Giants win because the Giants win, like the one that would make you panic more if you were a Packer fan, you would say it's definitely the Jets win because that's at home. At least with the Giants, it's on the road, not even on the road in another like continent. Country, yeah, right. In different times, and they played good zone. the first half, <clears throat> right? And pa you, Packer, Packers played well in the first half, right? Right. It's just that like, you know, uh, Brian Dable and them second half adjustments, baby. Yeah, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yo, so I'm, I'm concerned with the Rams, dude. Oh, the, yeah. Their offense of the teams that you mentioned, Cooper Cup got to be the most important player to his offense right now in all of football, quarterback aside. And I know I just, on the last episode, I said Saquon Barkley is the MVP right now through seven weeks. But, dude, Cooper Cup, if it ain't Cooper, bro, there's nobody on that team, Allen. They're like an expansion team without him. Like, he has that offense on his back at this point because offense line can't block anyone. The running backs can't see the holes. They can't break tackles. Stafford's just, like... Unless Higby's coming through with a screen or like a bootleg, like it's just Cooper Cup, like that's it. So I'm fully with you. Like if he's not there, this team, I'm not sure if they could win a game. Man, it's it's all Cooper Cup. I think he has like north of forty percent of the targets, which is, which when I saw it, I was like, damn, only forty. Which forty is a lot. <laughs> forty is it a is. ton for you to get forty. You getting 30% of your team's targets is like your wide receiver one, top 10 wide receiver. You're getting 40% of the targets. You're like, yo, what? Like D-Hop came back on Thursday Night Football last week, and I think he had 13 targets. And at the time when I was watching the game, I saw the box score flash, and Kyler Murray had 25 attempts at that point. It's like, dude's having, he's like, yo, I miss having a real wide receiver out there and just chucking it to him. I got my alpha back. Got my alpha back for sure, dude. Yeah. Did you draft D-Hop in any of your fantasy leagues? No, I drafted Kyler, though, and I've been very frustrated. Uh, Kyler, Kyler, I have Kyler in fantasy. The Dirty Lambs are making a push, bro. I was 0-5 to start the year, Alan. Good Lord. I'm 2-5 now. I made a terrible decision. My, uh, my uh, had some red flags with my draft process. I did not attend my draft. Because it was, oh, well, uh, well, you deserve all the consequences. <laughs> yeah. And I had a uh, shout to my guy, Ahmed. I had Ahmed draft my fantasy team and he has, oh, uh, okay. he has cowboy goggles on at the second pick Allen. I was like, dude, draft Justin Jefferson for me. Number two. He did that. And then I was like in well, my second pick, you know, 10 man league. So coming back around, that's what pick number 19, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Pick 19. I was like, if Saquon Barkley is there, take Saquon. If not, if he's not there, do what you want. Guess who was there? Saquon Barkley. He took Zeke. Nah, he took CD Lamb. He's like, yo, you got the best two receivers in the league. And I was like, oh, amazing. So shouts oh. to Ahmed. It's his birthday, too. I can't wait to clip <laughs> this and send this over oh, to him. Man. <laughs> um, your boy got benched. Matt Ryan. Ah. Is, like, did you see this coming? What are your feelings? 
I was I was kind of surprised by this dude, to be honest with you. Same here because I thought he played well against the Jaguars. That game winning touchdown, Alec Pierce was a well thrown ball, which is something you don't really see with Matt Ryan on twenty yards downfield. Like it was a really well lofted ball, and like those those nine routes that Alec Pierce runs, like that's his bread and butter. That's what Alec Pierce came to the league for. Like we're gonna go vertical with him and just throw it up, and he's gonna go get it. So like Matt Ryan held forces the Jaguars, but. You know, if you want to look at the whole body of work, I get it. And I think Frank Wright said it best. I like the fact that through all the issues, like Frank Wright will always take accountability. And he said it best. He said, we let you down. We thought we were going to have a great running game. We thought we were going to have offense line. Neither has happened. And I think the Colts are at the point now where just like the pocket's collapsing so often, they need at least some sort of athleticism. They need a guy that can get out of the pocket, create plays with his legs, you know, maybe – a little bit more option, and Sam Edinger provides that because it's not like they replaced him with Nick Foles. If they would have replaced Nick Foles, shame on the whole Colts organization. <laughs> but at least with Sam Edinger, who had a fantastic preseason, and I hear rave reviews about. All right, I I can see why you're taking a chance, given the this the schematic fit and just the fact that look, Matt Ryan's come a turnover machine, nine interceptions, four fumbles. It's it's a liability, so I, I get it, it even though. It did seem like it was a little bit rash, considering like he just pretty much won them a game against Jacksonville. But you watch how it's a Tennessee game; it's ugly. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate, man. But again, he he checked a lot of the boxes of the fall off a cliff guy that we've been spotlighting the last couple of episodes, last couple of years too. And isn't it weird though that he didn't go to Nick Foles because he was with him? Like I, I feel no, like Nick him- Foles, he, Nick Foles can't Nick Foles can't move. Like, what's Nick Foles going to do? It's basically like He's having Matt Ryan, Ryan, right? Uh, no, it's an insult to Matt Ryan. Like, Nick Foles, is, <laughs> Nick Foles has never been good. I'm sorry. Look, look, he had his run fine. He had three games. Or not even three games. Two games. Because I was at that Falcons-Eagles game covering. He was abysmal in that game. Nick Foles had two games. And he's and that 2013 year, uh, year with Chip Kelly. Besides that, Nick Foles has never done anything. So, I don't want to hear anything about Nick Foles. Uh, Sam Edinger, like I said... There's opportunities where you could do his legs. So that's why I kind of understood the move. But uh, when the fall, though, I wouldn't agree with that, though. Matt Ryan played very well last year. And I think maybe some of that was because Arthur Smith, you know, he schemed it up right. But I don't, I don't think anyone really could have seen this Matt Ryan fall this dramatically. Like, I don't, I don't think we could have called it based on last year's film. It's just, I, I do think, yeah, some, uh, some of the options are Matt Ryan just given the turnovers. But look, that Colts O line, it should be a lot better. Even Quinn Nelson's not playing pro level so that's how you know this team is just if they weren't in the afc south they would they'd probably be like a two win team at best let me ask you something in general about quarterbacks in a situation like this do you think it's possible for you to be able to go back to matt ryan after this um i don't think contract wise because they owe him a lot of money but uh besides the contract side of it i don't I think they can just because Matt Ryan's such a phenomenal person. Like Matt Ryan, like you saw quote today, he said he's going to do everything possible to help Sam out. So, like, I think you can if you want to, but at this point, the Colts, what's that going to prove? Like, this team's not going to really be competing. Like, yeah, they could maybe get the stuff, but they lost the tiebreaker. So, at this point, this, Colts got to look at this long term, man. I think these one year rental QB is just, the model's just not working. That's exactly it, too, dude. Like, I know yeah. Frank Wright is getting some, some heat from the media and Colts fans also. And you got to give this guy some slack, dude. He's literally had a, a different starting quarterback since he got there. Like every season he's had a new one. It was Andrew Luck. 
It was Jacoby Brissett. It was Phillip Rivers. It was Carson Wentz. It's Matt Ryan. Now it's this kid, Sam, coming in. It's like, dude, yeah. And, and for him to even be able to make the playoffs the one year that he did, last year, of course, losing to Jacksonville, um, I felt like that could have been a fireable offense. You were a 15-point favorite in there, too. Yeah. And it's just weird, though, because that team just always beats the Colts when they go into Jacksonville. The Colts always yeah. beat the Texans. The Titans always beat the Colts. Like, it's weird. Like, even in the NFC West, right, the Niners mm -hmm. lose to the Seahawks but always beat the Rams. The Cardinals and Rams every year feel like they split one way or another. The Seahawks always beat up on the Cardinals, and then the Rams beat up on the Cardinals and the Seahawks. It's like, yeah, you want to beat the teams in your division, but sometimes it makes no sense, like, how it happens. And, and you're talking about even when it was, like, the prime LOB and Russell Wilson 2013, 2014, the Rams would go in there with backup quarterbacks and, and a four-win team and, and would beat they would beat the Seahawks. So it's just it's just so strange how the NFL works sometimes. And I think with Matt Ryan, the, th the reason why I asked that is because it'd be weird. It'd be weird for me, and this could be ego talking. This could be, like, me being prideful and whatnot. But it'd be weird if I was working a show and they, like, took me off the host role and then they put someone else in. And then after two weeks, they're like, yo, we want you back in the host position. I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that, Alan. How about you? I mean, yes, Eli Manning, that in 2017. I didn't want to bring that up. You know, it's still, it's still sensitive. I, I know, I know, but it's the best <laughs> example I can think of. It's one game. Like, it's, it's an awkward position. Of course, this guy has the ego, but I just think you got to kind of handle it maturely and like a professional. If you get your, your opportunity to get back in, you got you to gotta take it. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They're like in a really precarious position. I, uh, I don't know. Like Colts, it's just, it's just real unfortunate because this is a team that, you know, in 2020, like I thought that was a really underrated team. Like they were a seven seed, but they pushed, uh, outstanding Bills team to the limit. Like they were beating the Bills for the majority of that game, but then the Bills took over in the fourth quarter, but they still only won by like one possession. So, like, I think what they did in 2020 kind of gave Frank Wright some leeway when it came to like, you know, long-term stability, even though he's always been a good coach, Rick, right? I think, I think if he didn't do what he did in 2020 and then 2021 happened against the Jaguars, he probably would have been fired. But I think 2020 kind of faded. But now it's just like, they better get it right. Like, this is going to be a really good quarterback class. And wherever they're picking, at some point, it's got to land because it's just, you can't keep going through the same cycle because that's what's the most frustrating thing, if, especially from a fan standpoint. It's just like, it's a never-ending cycle. It's like, okay, we have some hope. But then what is really the long-term outlook? You know, what are we going to be doing the next offseason? Because, you know, like franchise building is all about getting that quarterback and then building around him. And like the Colts haven't been in that position where just like we had, now we can build around them. It's just been more of you know, chopping change. You're right. Finding the franchise quarterback and then building around them. Nice little pivot into a team that we definitely got to give their flowers to because we were pretty critical of the Bengals coming into this season, we were a little concerned with. Wait, we were. Oh, we were. We were. We were critical of the Bengals. You don't think so? Like the concerns with the O line? Critical might be the wrong word. 
I was raving about the Bengals. I told them they're a definite playoff team. I was super high on the Bengals. Hmm. Okay. I didn't think they were going to win the division, but no, I was I was very much in favor of the Bengals, what they were doing. I, I think I overrated them. I thought the whole line, I think one thing I learned from the offseason was just don't say something's going to improve just because it was like the worst unit possible. Like I thought the Steelers, will, they have to look better offensively just because Big Ben's gone and, mm-hmm. and the O line can't be worse. They're just as bad. The Bengals, they can't get worse on the O line. Pretty much just as bad, maybe slightly improving. You can't. I've learned like not to make assumptions that just because a unit was the worst in the league last year, they could still be the worst in the league. I know critical was not the word I was looking for. I wanted to say patience, yeah. patience with the Bengals. Because okay, dude, I can see that. So, so I'll tell you why I say that, right? Because coming out the gates, they open the season up and they they're four and one in their last five games, right? And they're four and three overall. So them coming out, they come out to an 0-2 start. Their offensive line is getting beat up, right? TJ Watt went bananas on them. Michael Parsons went bananas on them. And then it wasn't until they had that matchup with Miami that I felt really strong about. Obviously, they didn't have Tua also, but it was you needed to give time. That's what I meant by patience. That's why critical was the wrong word. I wanted to say patience because... Just like we saw it happen with the Chiefs last year, bro. And they were, it was, they literally copied each other what they wanted to do in the offseason. Cause the Chiefs, the year before, they go to the Super Bowl. Well, a few years ago, they go to the Super Bowl, they lose because they have four new starters on the offensive line in that Super Bowl. Then what do they do in the offseason? They're like, yo, we're going to take care of Mahomes. Let's go and spend all this money, all this draft capital on offensive line. And then they end up halfway through the season improving as a unit because it's hard for you to be on the same page with all these guys right away. And you saw the same exact thing happen with Cincinnati. Those first three, four weeks, a little sluggish. Joe Burrow was getting beat up. I think through four weeks, no one got hit more at quarterback than Joe Burrow. And now you're looking Mm -hmm. at it. They're on a two-game winning streak. They've won four of their last five games. And one thing that I look at as a metric to identify how good you are is net points. How many points are you scoring? How many points are you giving up? They're third in the AFC. And you wanted to ask on the show, like, where are they in the AFC? Where are they in the AFC? I'm asking you. Got to give them third. I think they're the tier below Buffalo and Kansas City at this point. They're the most complete. We don't talk enough about their defense. I know I'm all about, you know, getting – these playmakers in and just be like, I need a couple of star players here. You know, that dominant edge rusher, that shutdown corner, that three down linebacker that could do it all. Sometimes when you just have no weaknesses and you have a good functional group with an excellent coordinator, you could be a top 10 defense. Like you watch the Bengals. They are a top 10 defense. They get things done. They're very disciplined. They don't miss tackles. It's just having that fundamental play works, especially when you have an offense that is as dynamic as theirs. So I think just based on their offense now finding a rhythm and their defense continually just being disciplined, like they're probably the most complete team in the AFC, not named Buffalo, Kansas City. Dude, check this out about their defense. Bengals third quarter defense takes the field and forces a three and out. They've done that in the last 14 games that they've played. They've allowed only one touchdown in the third quarter. And we like to sing praises for coordinators and coaches, coaching staffs as a whole, about your adjustments in the second half. 
that's a big one, dude, right? Remember what they did to Kansas yeah. City? Kansas City game, yeah. they're getting lit up in the second half and then in the first half, excuse me, and then in the second half, it's shut down City, right? So, yeah, you they could generate pressure. Eli Apple is still a liability for them, but he does seem to make plays every now and then. I uh, you know, I give him credit. He helped the Falcons score the, like uh, one touchdown. The Falcons had a passing <laughs> game. It was because of him. Uh, I would probably more credit Joey Awuzie and Mike Hilton and Von Bell, Jesse Bates, more than Eli yeah. Apple. But I don't know, Eli Apple, I guess <clears> you, all the best teams need that one player that's going to talk that talk. So I guess Eli Apple has to fit that quota. Now, us saying that they're third, right? Dude, I kind of feel like they're in that convo with Buffalo and Kansas City. They have they have an alpha at quarterback. They probably have the best skill position players collectively of the three teams in the AFC. Probably in absolutely. the league too, right? Like Yeah, what, yeah, absolutely. Without question. People and I think it was you. It was you that tweeted something about Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd's always been good, man. Like he was putting up almost close to a thousand yard seasons before Burrow got there. Yeah, and you were and I think your tweet, um, your tweet was something along the lines of like, yo, people forget just how good this dude is. And he's we've always yeah, sang his much. praises. We sang his praises that especially for this team, he is mm -hmm. the perfect receiver for them because of what they yeah. have on the outside and out the backfield. Having a real slot guy like him is money. Mm -hmm. Because he could play on the outside, it's just he's not needed there anymore. Like, Jason Hickens are your prototypical alpha X receivers. So, like, Boyd's now pretty much, uh, I don't want to say reduced, but, like, that's kind of where his niche is. That's where his best spot is. So, like, I think people just forget that because you know, the Bengals have so much star power. But, man, Boyd was, this guy was going to catch a one-handed one pass. like 20 yards downfield. Like, he, he's a threat. And he's so good after the catch. So, no, I'm, all, I'm with you on that. Like, I think the Niners have, like, the more – I guess dangerous receiving trio just because like Dick Kittle's so dominant when he's healthy. But like as a wide receiver though, not just a pass catch trio, like no one's no one's touching the Bengals. I have it Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincy, tier one. And then from there I have everyone else in the AFC. I think the I think the Ravens would probably lead to everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Them in Miami. And dude, what about Tennessee, bro? Hey, man. You know, I was trying to get a Tennessee line <laughs> in at some <laughs> point. The BB is coming back, baby. I'm so excited about that. They are by not. I'm gonna say by far, but when you watch the highlights, they're one of the most un not oh, what's the for like just unappealing teams. Like they are so bland to watch. But dude, like. Mike Vrabel just, he has the recipe. Like, you have to love this man. Like, he knows his roster is borderline, definitely bomb 10. Might even be bomb 5, at least offensively. And they just find ways to win, and you got to admire it. So, but look, Tennessee, they're kind of like, look, both South, both AFC, AFC and NFC South teams. Like, it's going to be nine wins at best. Dude, I was feeling so full of myself after the first two weeks. I'm like, damn, they're 0-2. My favorite bet was under nine and a half wins, and now they're on a four-game four, four game winning streak. Your boy Vrabel, you saw him break down when he hugged Jones? Ben Jones, yeah, man. Do you know what the backstory? Why Why do you do that? Is he? Is there something to that? Uh, I didn't get the full story. I don't think it's even revealed. I just know he, he has some sort of condition. 
But Man, uh, I don't know the just full information. Am- I, yeah, yeah, I got to look into that, bro, because he embraces yeah. him, breaks down crying, and he's like, you played your ass off, left it all out there. Mm-hmm. And it was just like... It, it, he's a leader, too. Right, but it felt weird for it to be a Week 7 game. Like, that's why there has to be some backstory to that. And if, if you guys listening yeah. happen to know anything about that, just let us know. DM us, tweet it at us, at Veterans Minimum. Uh, Alan's Instagram, uh, not Instagram, his Twitter. You'll get that at the end. Yeah. Because it really hasn't been reported on. Like, I feel like there are stories about this. And, like, it, there's just been no national recognition for it. So, I'm curious. But I will say, though, like, if the – if the Jaguars knew how to win a one-score game, which they haven't in like three years, as they're zero five in one-score games right now, maybe the Jaguars could push. But they're just—they're going through some real growing pains. So, oh, all right. I got a little—I got a little bit of juice here. Ready? Okay, okay. So, Ben Jones has missed only one game in his career through high school, college, and in the NFL. He plays through everything, and apparently. Vrabel and the coaching staff wanted to take him out because he got hurt in that game and he played through. That's why Vrabel and that video went by. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, it's an emotional divisional game. Yeah. So I get it. And, and Ben Jones is one of their leaders. So yeah, they're just a tough minded team. And that's the cool thing about Tennessee. It just, they really hate each other. And, you just don't hear any drama about them. Like, okay, I, like, look, I don't think they handled the A.J. Brown situation at, well at all, but, like, you got to love it when a team just truly wants to play for the players. Like, you're seeing it right now. Like, those players are going to war for Dable and for years with the Titans. Like, these players are going to battle for Dable, and even though they're overmatched personnel-wise, you're not going to just totally dominate Tennessee unless you're Buffalo, obviously. But, like, you're, you're, in, you're in for battle. Like, I think the Titans and the Giants, you can look at some of those we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Similarities. Be proud of those teams. It's a good comp. Good comp, those two teams right there. Yeah, I think both are kind of carbon copies of one another quarterbacks that are very limited and you don't want them to jeopardize your chance at winning. And then they're built with their defense and kind of charismatic coaching figures, right? Brian Dable, Mike Rabel, for sure. Dable's already like top five funnest coaches. Come on. He's got the cigar out. Dude, you saw him coming out with the cigar signing autographs. Like dude doesn't give a fuck. He's like, bring it on. He's the people's champ. That's the people's, people's yeah. Top, yeah. top three ball dudes on the planet right now. <laughs> All right. Speaking of which, let's open up with that. 
how much money would I have? What kind of odds would I have to give you for you to take a bet back in week one of Giants and Seahawks being a game we were going to spotlight as our game of the week in the NFC? Six and one versus four and three, bro. Jesus, I thought this game would be for like top five draft positioning. Seriously. Yeah. Geno Smith say, revenge? But look, I mean, he kind of got his opportunity. Geno Smith could get revenge on a lot of teams, but I think the Giants at least gave him an opportunity. <laughs> like, crazy enough, Geno Smith was on the Chargers. Yeah. Like, he played, I think, five games for them. So that was, I think that could be kind of conservative. But look, with the Giants, he got his opportunity. It was just nasty and unnecessary. But what are you going to do with that? Not to bring that up again, but like, you know what the, the, the most wild thing? Like, uh, there's plenty of wild things about this matchup, but like, uh, Peter Schrager tweeted this out. Like, who would you pick three quarterbacks to the NFC to be in the Pro Bowl right now? Who would you pick? And like, Geno Smith and Daniel Jones, to me, are two and three after Jalen Hurts. Like, I even would put both of them above Kirk Cousins in terms of performance this year. Yo, first of all, I think you're right. Second of all, that's horrible. <laughs> I, I mean, you. you're not putting you're not putting Rogers, Brady, or Stafford. Like, that goes to show there? you like, what the the main talking point of the beginning of the episode was all about. Like the NFC is in shambles. That Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, and Kirk Cousins are probably shoeing Pro Bowlers this year, and obviously oh, Jalen Hurts. Let's not forget Jalen Hurts. Yeah, 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 yeah. obviously, I, I'm I saying like Kirk, like yeah. Jalen Hurts is definitely, but then. The other two are going to be one of those three guys that we just mentioned, which is wild for you to take yeah. in. That's crazy. I, I, I mean, man, I think it's time he's got to, you got to take Geno seriously. You watch Geno week in, week out. He, he's making big-time throws left and right. Tight window throws. He's reading the game well. Like, he, he's been outstanding. Like, I, I don't think this is anomaly. I don't think this is like a game. <laughs> Dude, he's here to stay. Can he be someone that fits into that talking point that we always like to bring up about circumstance and situation? Because let's take a look at it. I have, I have his, his uh, pro football reference in front of me. He goes to the Jets early on. He's there for four seasons. Then he goes to the Giants. Then he's with the Chargers. And then he's a backup in Seattle, right? A lot of those teams, dude, were not good. Not a lot of talent around them. And even with the Chargers, when he got there, it was, what was that? The last year of, uh, that was the last year of Phillip Rivers. I think second to last year. Because 2019, it was, he was there 2018, I believe. Yeah, it was there, was he? he was there in 2018, yeah. He only played, yeah, he only so played five games for him. Yeah. yeah. So, and it was in relief. Like, he didn't even play. It was basically a backup. So, you're right. He was, he was mm -hmm. over there. He was the backup for Phillip Rivers. But, like, yo, Seattle, that's why that Russell Wilson was going to be so much more successful in Denver made no sense to me because Seattle, it's not like Russell Wilson was playing with the Texans where they lack talent on the outside and they lack offensive skill players. Like even Rashad Penny last year, bro, the last six weeks of the season, I think was the number one rusher in football, won mad people their fantasy leagues. And you're looking at Russ and you're saying to yourself, dude, you had talent over there. In comes Geno Smith now. You have DK Metcalf. You have Tyler Lockett. You have all these tight ends that they're utilizing and seem to be making big plays week in, week out. And now Kenneth Walker is the favorite to be the rookie of the year after Brees Hall went down. 
it's like, yo, this guy has a lot of pieces around him to allow him to be successful, Alan. So do you think it was just circumstance or is this like, how, how do you break this down, bro? Because it's hard for you to have a decade long career in the NFL. And now you're, you're hitting your ceiling or you're hitting the best football that you're playing. Yeah, but I think sometimes it just takes maturing. Like I think Gino's supposed to be the first one to tell you, like he, I thought, I thought he got a better rep with the Jets, but you could tell like he was a bit of rack at times. It just seems like he's much more patient now. And, it's just you watch from the pocket, like he's going through his progressions. He's not rushing it. Like he, he'll go to his second or third read. He'll hit those throws. Like he just seems much more at ease. Like maybe just bad fit with being the Jets bargain. But I just did not like him and Rex Ryan. It was just a nightmare to watch at times. But you gotta give a huge credit to Pete Carroll. I know. Look, people like to make fun of Pete Carroll for being overly conservative. He kind of values the running game too much. But look, Pete Carroll knows I get the best out of players. And uh, Shane Waldron's been a good fit. He comes from the Rams. I don't know him and Russ is. They kind of clash. I think Geo Smith is just more accepting of who he is as quarterback and like how he's trying to fit under Pete Carroll's toolage. Because it just seemed like with Russ, he just kind of wanted to go to the beat of his own drum. He, you know, he wanted to quote unquote cook. He wanted to freelance a lot. Geno's just more disciplined. So I just think everything kind of fit right. But through all this, I think people got to remember how good of a coach Pete Carroll is. Because I think for all the conservatism and the uh, not so great drafts. He's starting to put together a like a really quick rebuilding job because they had to rebuild quick and like what they put together with this draft class, like they got five starters right now, and a couple of them are looking like Pro Bowl talents. So uh, as much as Geno's matured, you have to give credit to Pete Carroll as well. Look, man, everyone wanted Russ to cook, and Pete Carroll was holding him back, maybe because he knew. Yeah, right, like. Who knows him more than Pete Carroll, dude? He sees him every day, talks to him every day. That's his head coach. Mm -hmm. That's his quarterback. They're, they spend the most time together. So maybe this whole social media momentum of let Russ cook, and it was a hashtag. It's like, yo, maybe this is why we didn't let him cook, because you see what he's cooking up in Denver. And I think Pete Carroll will be the first one. So he's made mistakes. Like, look, Brian Schoenheimer was offense coordinator at one point. Brian Schoenheimer should never be an offense coordinator in the NFL ever again. It's like Pete Carroll's made his coaching errors, but like more times than not, he's put them in the position to win games. Like Seattle for what eight years or so, like they were consistently in the playoff hunt. You couldn't have a discussion going to year and not talk about Seattle when it came to the upper echelon of not just the NFC, upper echelon of the entire NFL. So uh, yeah, I'm, I've always been a huge fan of his. Like you just, I just think he gets a bit of a better rep and is maybe old. He's a little could be a little bit outdated, but like. Sometimes you just have to respect coaches that just know I get the best out of players. And he clearly is one of those guys. At what point, like Mike Tomlin. At what point do you think the Giants having practice squad wide receivers out there, with the exception of Wandell Robinson, is going to come back to hurt him? When I got to play Philly? I don't think it's going to be this game. Because, uh, look, Seattle's a fun team, but, like, Seattle still has their flaws as well. Like, they're rebuilding them. The Giants are kind of in similar situations in a way. But uh, I think with the Giants, whether it's Dallas or Philly, I think those are the teams that, you know, teams that you need to score at least 24 points to beat or go against defenses that generate so much pressure. Giants will have those receivers that could get open one-on-one, -on -one, and I think that's where they're going to, uh, unfortunately, be on the end of some brutal losses. The Giants have the number two rushing offense in the NFL. Seattle has the number eight rushing offense in the NFL. 
And surprisingly, I would have said that the Giants had a much higher defense than what they have now. Their their total defense ranking, Allen, is 24th in the league. And I feel like the Giants' defense probably plays way better than what that ranking shows because their defense has been opportunistic. They've made plays when they needed to. And I think, I think, they're the main reason for the success for this team right now through through seven weeks. I feel like they're really good in the red zone on both sides of the ball. And you look, when you're good in the red zone, you're going to put yourself in position to win games. Like, I think Jaguars had, like, what, 460 yards on? But then you look at the red zone success, <clears> and Jaguars didn't quite have it there. So, I think, look, we could talk all about yards, but how you convert in the red zone is going to make a huge difference. So, I think that's where the Giants are winning. Uh, I, I hope you saw this, that though. we got to quickly go back to the run game, though. You know, the Giants have, have the top five players in the league with runs over 15 yards. The Giants currently have two of them. Saquon Barkley's at third. Daniel Jones is at fifth. Let's go, baby. Let's go. You know they have not one 200-yard receiving player on their team. Yo, how they're winning these games. Let me, are you are you concerned about Bellinger being out? Because I feel like he was a key piece. Yeah, man, I'm worried about that. Ojolari is either in the lineup and then he's out. Tony, who knows when they're ever going to see him? Uh, it's it sucks because those are two guys that they they really, I mean, nah, definitely didn't hit a home run with Tony. But Ojolari, when they got him, remember Ojolari was a guy who was a top ten pick, and then he got hurt, and then he got taken mm-hmm. later on. And it was, you know, he's still super raw. It's the uncertainty with the knee. And that's why I was so excited and, and optimistic about the Giants moving forward because you have Ojolari and Thibodeau, and then you have Andrew mm-hmm. Thomas, who, dude, I mean, come on, bro. This guy was the, the laughing stock when he got picked because he was the first tackle taken, and everyone was making fun of the Giants because out the gates, it's like Wirfs is really good and Willis is really good. And then it's like Andrew Thomas is, mm. it's like, dude is like, Highest rated left tackle on PFF. He's just, you don't need to worry about the left tackle with the Giants. And he's been amazing with them. But yeah. the, the thing that sucks about what's happening with the Giants is that, you know, these injuries, right? Like Neil's going to be out until Thanksgiving. It's your right tackle. You have Ojolari. You have Tony. You have no wide receivers making plays. That's why I don't think what the Giants are doing is sustainable. And I'm just going to enjoy every week that they leave with a W. Like all my captions, bro, have been four and one laughing my ass off five <laughs> and one laughing my effing ass off like six and one and all caps. Like, that's the healthy mindset though. But dude, I'm be- that, that's you, the way I think it. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've had these combos, bro. And I think everyone that listens knows that I'm very, very honest with my teams and assessing my teams. Like I, you know how I said it last year that the, Cardinals and the Patriots were going to be the first round bounce team. It might be my team this year if they make the playoffs, man. I'm not going to feel confident. Then again, the NFC is. It's, it's achievement itself what they're doing, man. Yeah. Like, that's why, like, with Giants, just enjoy a ride and just be excited by what Brian Dable's building. That's it, really. Like, you're, you're, you're starting to see, like, these franchise Coruscant pieces emerge. Like, Thibodeau's making plays. Andrew Thomas. Dude, Dexter Lawrence. I don't think there's a nose tackle league generating more pressure than him. Like Dexter Lawrence seems to be living in the backfield. So he's another one. Like you, you, you're just seeing like you have now like a nucleus of young talent that's you could depend on for hopefully the next three to five years. So I think that's just the biggest highlight. And the fact that the Giants are winning games too, they're gonna get great experience. It's a beautiful thing. And you have the most electrifying running back in the league. 
skull finally healthy. Yo, someone's going to be either Giants might be seven and one or Seattle might be five and three. And dude, if you look at it, the Niners and the Rams play each other this week. So Seattle might be in first place if they get a win again. Like that's what what's more shocking to you before we give our picks on this game? Like what's more shocking to you? The Giants being six and one or Seattle being four and three? I really wish I had to pick one because I think they're both equally shocking. But if I had to pick one, I think it's Seattle. I go bro. Seattle, man. Yeah, because I just think I just thought they looked hopeless going into the year. Yeah, there was nothing really to be excited about Seattle going into the year, and now it seems like they hit a home run with this draft class. And look, Gino's playing like he's like a top fifteen quarterback, and, and they have a pretty smashing ground game. And cool as them, like we talk about drafting, like. The, both teams kind of have a – they drafted tackles high, and now they both have starters, you think, for the next three to five years. Like Seattle, they started two rookie tackles, and they're holding their own. And then they have a rookie quarter, Tariq Wooden, who's looking like a stud. And you have Kenneth Walker, and it's just like, man, it just goes to show you, like, if you draft well one year, your fortunes can change very quickly. That two- to three-year rebuild that you think that was likely going to happen – Turns into like a one-year rebuild, and now you're competing for a playoff spot. Yeah, dude. And if you're Seattle and you're Seattle fans, if you could continue to build this momentum next year's draft class also, you could look at it like what what Cincinnati did, right? Cincinnati, they get Burrow, and then shortly after they get Chase, and it's like, bam, you just got two guys that are going to be the top, top salaries at their position one day or top three in their position at one day. You get them in basically back-to-back drafts for the most part. But, yeah, you're right, man. You hit home runs on your draft class. It, it, it changes everything. The Giants, too, right? Like, the Giants, they get Neil. Yeah. They get Thibodeau. Yeah. Like, they get guys that are contributing. Yeah. Yo, I think the Giants win this game, though. I think the Me Giants too. continue to just, like, you can't count them out, man. They have four double-digit comeback wins so far this year. And to yeah. answer that question that I posed to you, I think the team that I'm more surprised is, is playing better is Seattle. Because, like, the Giants, the Giants, you had a little bit of optimism with them. Like, they, they played a fourth-place schedule. If these young guys could contribute, if Saquon could play, play, just play, right? Like, just be available. And then also, like, Brian Dable, the whole coaching upgrade. I felt the same way about Minnesota, right. how I felt like O'Connell coming in there as opposed to having Zimmer. Like, that was going to be a two- to three-win upgrade. And I felt the same way about Brian Dable. So I'm I'm going with the Giants, man. I really think the Giants moved to seven and one, which is wild because if the Giants move to seven and one and then Dallas and Philly take care of business this week, which they should, because both are like eight point favorites or more in both of their games, you're looking at the three best teams in the NFC record wise are all in the same division, which is wild. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's got because I'm going with the Giants too. I think the Seattle still has a below average defense, and DK Metcalf's a huge loss. DK Metcalf's having a hell of a year, and I just think losing that receiver threat it's gonna it's gonna put some mad pressure on Gina. So I just think the Giants. I think both teams are really well coached, but I'm I'm gonna go with Dable. He has got a few tricks up his sleeve, and I think Martindale's gonna bring the worst out of Gina. All right. Is this a loser leaves town match between the Niners and the Rams? No, because the NFC is so bad. Okay, that's fair. But, dude, yeah, two teams like, that I think have high hopes for one another, 
and mm-hmm. one is a defending champ. And obviously San Francisco is just a staple in the NFC. Like I feel like last couple of years, like you're going to run into San Francisco at some point. And uh-huh. this is, this is a matchup in which San Francisco has dominated with the exception of the NFC title game last year when the Rams came back and won that game. They're down 10 in the fourth quarter. So in a way, they kind of they've dominated this matchup even in that game, too, even though the outcome didn't go their way. For me, the one thing that I'm looking forward to the most is can they do anything about Cooper Cup? Last time they played one another, Cooper Cup had 19 targets. He had 14 catches in the NFC title game. He had double-digit catches. Then he had seven for 118 in the regular season to end the year. And then he had 11 for 122. Like, dude is just feasting on San Francisco. Thing is, I don't think it matters because the Rams don't have a complimentary piece. Like, the bigger reason why the Rams won the NFC title game is because Odell Beckham, if he didn't have 100 yards, he was close to it. Like, Odell had a huge influence in the NFC title game. And now they don't have that player. Allen Robinson just does not stretch the field. He can't get open like he once did. He can't even make contested catches unless it's like a fade in the red zone. Like, like you saw in the Monday night game, like Cooper Cup had what 14 catches, and I think he had like 98 yards. Like, if they could keep him under 10, 11 cat, uh, yards per catch, and just okay, like you could you could nickel and dimes, you could you know dick a dunk. But if no other player steps up the Rams, like how are they going to score points? That's how I see it. And like another big thing is just I don't know how they could protect Stafford. So look, Cooper Cup's going to get his regardless. I just think. If the Rams don't have a second option that emerges, it's going to be kind of a repeat of the Monday night game. Is it possible that San Fran just lets Cooper Cup run wild and just make sure no one else beats them? Because there's no one else that yeah. can really beat them. So it's like, yo, Cooper, do yeah. your thing. Go go nuts. Get 12 catches for 150 yards and a touchdown. But no one else is doing shit. Well, you want him to get 34 yard plays. Like, I think they want to keep the plays in front of him. Like, Cooper Cup, you know, let Good him point. get those hitches, let him get those comebacks. Yeah, like, keep him like, within 10 to 12 yards per catch. But uh, look, you, you don't want to allow explosive plays under any circumstance. But if they keep him restrained, like, what else the Rams could be? Like, dude, they're like trying so hard. Like, Juju Batwell can't get on the field. Brandon Powell, who like, some 28 year old, like, scat back, and now he's trying to play receiver. Like, and Skoranek, who I think it's cool they're using Skoranek as a fullback, but it's still like another mm. guy who's like UDFA. It's just they have nothing there. Like I don't know what happened to Van Jefferson, where he's going to be, but like it's just that's why I'm like let Cooper Cup get it. It's just a matter of don't let the plays get behind you and make sure you tackle. <clears> and look, San Fran's as good as it gets when it comes to tackling. San Fran in the last ten meetings is seven and three. They are seven and one in the last eight meetings. They have dominated this matchup, like we mentioned. And as I look up on the Cooper Cup stats, Alan, all this craziness with Cup against the Niners started when Matthew Stafford got there. So prior to that, they were keeping him in check. And it wasn't until Stafford got there that he's having these monster 100-yard games. Like, he never had a 100-yard game against the Niners until Matthew Stafford got there. And their chemistry is, is off the chains between the two of them. On the flip side, right, San Francisco... We're definitely going to see more CMC. I love the move of him. I can't wait to see them at full strength on offense. And and what I mean by that is, like, yeah, everyone's healthy right now. But CMC with a full week of practice and learning the playbook. And now it's going to see, like, yo, this team is going to become impossible to guard 
and Jimmy G is going to be in the best situation he's ever been in. Because as long as all these guys stay healthy and watch when Elijah Mitchell comes back, a guy that they were super high on, they're going to have CMC out on the field also and motioning him out the backfield. And now you're going to have Ayuk, CMC, Debo, and Kittle, and then Elijah Mitchell in the backfield. It's like, holy shit, what am I stopping first? And, and Trent Williams is healthy now too. That's so why I, I all agree. All the pieces are there. Well, we were talking about to open up the show. This is a team that I trust the most. We trust yeah. the infrastructure, the coaching staff, the GM, the the players. They've been there. They've done that. Like, yo, remember last year I was on the show and I was like, yo, is Kyle Shanahan even that good? Like, look at his record. He's below 500. Uh, you remember yeah. that, right? And then what happens? He wins uh, like... We had that conversation. And then they get hot and they win like seven games in a row. So basically what I'm saying is 49ers fans, you're welcome because I turned that juju around last year. And they end up going all the way to the NFC title game. But on a serious note, it's like, yo, this is why I trust everything that they're doing. And even if they catch an L this week, which I don't, I think San Francisco takes care of business and they win this game. I think that San Fran is in the better position. Like I'm really looking at them as a potential team. I want to bet on right now to win the NFC, maybe a, a Bills Niners Super Bowl, a Chiefs Niners Super Bowl kind of ticket. This is from a betting standpoint because I know San Francisco is going to turn it around because they always do. And and last thing, and I know I'm kind of going long here, Allen is this isn't a team that's like one and six right now. We're saying turn it around. Like, yo, they're in the trenches. This is is a team that they they've just they've been there, done that. That's really what it comes down to for me. Yeah. I mean, they've dominated in the division. Like, I know Seahawks, we inspected, but week two, they pretty much shut out the Seahawks. The only point Seahawks score was off a block field goal. And then they dominated the Rams as well. So they're handling business division. I just think with all the injuries and now moving pieces, it's just it's going to take time for them to gel. But you know, on paper, I think they're borderline top five team in the league. Who you got winning this one? Got to go with the Niners. Just, I think just going to be front four is going to destroy them. Playmakers will make plays. I'm really excited to see what more McCaffrey could do, like especially how to utilize them as a receiver because Shannon loves pass catching backs. So it's, it's, there's a lot to be excited about the Niners. Well, with the Rams, it's just their stars could only do so much. And I, I just think the way they're feeling the consequences of going all in. You know, I know F them picks was fun, but it's not fun when you can't block your quarterback when your quarterback is uh, his pockets getting crashed every play and you got no edge rushers. Like I think the Rams have one sack off the edges here. Like, it's just, they're depleted and it's going to take a couple years for them to build themselves back up. Yeah, I'm on the Niners as well. I think the Niners take care of business. And then I think the Rams, the Rams might be teetering, if not already. I'm going to be concerned about them moving forward if they lose this game. All right, last game on the menu. And Alan, I'm sure you've heard this. Maybe you haven't heard this because you're not really in the trenches when it comes to like being a degenerate and, and the sports betting stuff. But Aaron Rodgers has played in 234 playoff games in his career. This weekend, Sunday night football against Buffalo is going to mark the first time in his career that he is a double digit underdog. It is the biggest underdog that he has ever been in a game. There are 11 point dogs going into Buffalo and on the flip side, you got Josh Allen, who in his career has a double-digit favorite, Allen, 6-1 and one against the spread. So when he's expected to beat teams, he beats teams. So 
Green Bay, they almost came back against Washington. And now you go up to Buffalo, who's coming off a bye week. Everyone's rested. Uh, Tredavious White should be coming back. I don't know if it's going to be this week because he hasn't practiced yet at the time we're recording. But that's just another tool out there that you could throw out. And I think he might be, you know, outside of the pass rushers, the most important player on their defense. Because you saw what happened to them last year when they played the Chiefs. He wasn't there. They got lit up. Like, he is a guy that can shut down number one wide receivers. And in this game, you don't really have a number one wide receiver. So this is a nice matchup for him not to come back to if he's not ready. And Green Bay, man, they almost come back against the commanders at the end. But it's been well documented that this team is just not, is not firing on all cylinders. They're on a three-game losing streak. And this is not a team in Buffalo, Allen, that you're going to want to go up there to visit prime time. You know, Bill's Mafia is going to be zooted from like 8 a.m. that day. <laughs> and you're just going to see them going in there. And to try to turn it around against Buffalo, I don't see that happening. Yeah, this is a, this is a nightmare matchup for them. Like, I just, I don't know what the Packers do. Like, I, they really got to try to run the ball. Like, they still have that duo that I think could cause damage. Like, this is the type of game where you really need, like, A.J. Dillon. They're going to have a winning recipe. A.J. Dillon's got 15 carries. Aaron Jones has 15 carries. Like, Aaron Jones was making plays last week. And I still feel like he's just one of those players that's always underutilized for some reason. But when he tends to feature like he makes a difference and I said get this point Green Bay needs to depend on those two guys because it's clear like Rodgers does not trust any young receivers like Romeo Dobbs is just falling out of complete favor you know I know he has a chemistry with Lazard but now not having Cobb there who it's pretty crazy that Reynold Cobb after all these years is still a valuable piece to that franchise it's kind of shows you the state they're in just their inability to not even get receivers what through trade but like not even develop them as well so it's it's a brutal one, and then I was I heard a report like Bakhtiari at times like struggles to practice. Like Bakhtiari was a late scratch against Washington just because his body wasn't right, and I just think the surgery he had and just the multiple season-ending injuries is kind of taking its toll on because at his peak, Dave Bakhtiari was arguably the best left tackle in the league, and now it's just like you can't even count him on a weekly basis. Like you have players saying, "Oh, if he doesn't practice well, he can't play." So and then. But, man, we've seen what Von Miller could do. and We've seen the you know, AJ as Epineza, uh, Greg Rousseau. Like, those edge rushers, that they have such rush. a complete unit. Yeah. So, I just – I don't see any positives here with the Packers. Like, it's going to have to take a real vintage Rodgers performance, and they're going to have to run the ball really well for this game to be competitive. Well, if we were talking before about how Green Bay, their defense is doing a lot of this. Like, yo, I thought you had them. I thought you have them. Like, what's going on? Right? Mm -hmm. the, the Honey Badger. Remember Honey Badger last year? Anytime Sorensen would give up a big play, you just see a cut out oh. of him. Well, like, uh, what happened? Right? Dude. If Green Bay is doing that against the Jets, Giants, and the Commanders, it, it's going to be a lot of finger pointing when, when it's Gabe Davis and Diggs and all these guys running wild. So they're going to be in trouble, man. I think, I think this one could get ugly, and I think Buffalo is going to just continue to steamroll because right now is... You know, the more I think of it, I'm kind of playing into the whole, like, public perception narrative. So, like, I think Green Bay getting the points is something I might bet. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo just blows them out. After the game is over, do you think Aaron Rodgers will try to find Jake Kumro and try to recruit him back? Bro, I think after this is over, he might he might just stay in Buffalo and just eat Buffalo wings. He's mad cool with Josh Allen. Maybe be like, yo, dude, I just want... 
Like, it's weird, man. Like, him and Brady came back this year, and it's just not looking good for both of these guys. And they're oh, not, man. and look, like, they're not, was, they're yeah. not playing awesome either, right? We got to give them some slack. No, too. not at all. So it's not like yeah. they're they're having like lights out seasons and and you can blame everyone else. But man, it's just it's just weird what's happening in Green Bay. And I think they're very easy to stop now. I think you just load up the box and you try to get Jones and Dylan out the game, and you just dare one of these wide receivers to do it. And I think Buffalo is gonna welcome that. And even if your secondary has been banged up with no white and the the safety going down, this is a good matchup for you to go out there and play a team like that because you don't need to worry about Devontae Adams like you used to in the past. So if I'm Green Bay, I think it could get really ugly. But also, you know, catching 11 points, dude, that's a lot of points for a guy like Rodgers. Yeah. So, but Buffalo? Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be Buffalo. It just, I think this is a matchup that really favors them. And you know, it's a cool matchup. Look, as bad as Rodgers has played this year, it's still great to see these two on primetime. And who knows what Rogers play like with a chip on his shoulder? Well, he, of course, he has a chip on his shoulder. But like, you know, I think whenever he's going against someone as special as Allen, like he provides the extra spark. It's just a matter of, I don't know. He just can't push the ball downfield. There's just no openings, and like Buffalo's another one of those defenses. Like they don't have a huge amount of stars, but you know, they're borderline like top five unit. They just always seem to be very well coached, and you don't really expect to see coverage breakdowns unless, of course, against the Chiefs. That's the Chiefs. So. No, nah, like it's a cool game on paper just because you know the star power, but it wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked to see Jordan Love make an appearance. Sheesh. I don't know about all that. All right, man. Look, we we agreed on all our picks, right? We had Niners, we have the Giants, and we got Buffalo. So that'd be interesting. I'm definitely gonna bet that because I'm a piece of shit sometimes. You know how I get down. But uh this was fun, dude. I'm excited to watch some of these games. Definitely a better slate than last week. At, Absolutely. At, yeah, yeah. At Nick Deus 10 is you can find me. Veteransminimum.com is you can find all things VM. And Alan, where can they find you? Uh, Alan Sterk. That's A-L-L-E-N-S-T-R-K. Good luck this weekend. Catch you on the Discord. The Discord is open for everyone to join. Just hit the link in the bio of the episode, and we'll catch you guys next time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.